If you have your Bible, please open them to James chapter 4. I do have a little bit of a cold this morning. You've probably already gathered that. But if you'll tolerate it, I'll push through it. And uh, we'll believe that God's word will carry through uh, even it. And, uh, and God has something to say to us this morning. I believe God has something to say to you. Uh, maybe you just uh, walked in here this morning. Maybe somebody invited you. I believe you're here for a purpose. I believe that God brought you and directed your path and allowed you to be here this morning because he has a word that he wants to speak to you. And this morning we're looking at a topic on planning. Planning. Uh, how many of you would call yourself a planner? How many of you would call yourself a planner? Yeah, you're planners. How many of you that are sitting beside someone that just raised your hand would say amen to that? They are planners, right? Because if you're not a planner and you live with a planner, you know it. They have let you know it in subtle ways and not so subtle ways. Benjamin Franklin said failure to plan is a plan to fail. We're all planners in some way. We all plan. We all plan out something. Maybe you're not much of a planner, but you probably planned what you're doing for lunch today. You probably planned what's going to happen maybe tomorrow. This somewhat of us are planners. I got read this this week in a uh, manual, kind of a humorous manual that uh, the Peace Corps actually put out uh, on planning for their volunteers heading to South America. I think this was a little bit of a joke. I kind of hope it was. But uh, their plan was this. What would you do if you were attacked by an anaconda? What would you do? Can you think through that? What would your plan be if you were attacked by an anaconda? Giant snake, right? They have a 10-step process. Here's the 10 steps. First, if you're attacked by an anaconda, do not run. The snake is faster than you are. Second, lie flat on the ground. Third, put your arms tight at your sides and your legs tight against one another. Fourth, the snake will begin to climb over your body. That's comforting, right? (laughs) Step five, do not panic. (laughs) Step six, the snake will begin to swallow you from the feet ends. (laughs) Step seven, step six will take a lot of time. Step eight, after a while, slowly and with as little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife, and gently slide it into the snake's mouth, then suddenly sever the snake's head. You could do that, right? (laughs) Step nine, be sure your knife is sharp. (laughs) Step ten, which I really think should be step one, be sure you have your knife. I don't think that's really their advice. But you got to have a plan for everything. And we often do have a plan for everything. We have plans for our plans. We have plans when our plans don't work out. We have contingency plans. We have side plans. We don't just have plan A, plan B. We've got C through F. We've got all kinds of plans. We're planners. We live in a society and a world often of planners. Maybe you're going to have kids and people are telling you you need to start a college fund as soon as they're born. Baby isn't even born yet and you need to be thinking 18 years down the road planning. You're just starting your job and you, you know, people are telling you, look, what are you going to do about your 401k? And thinking, what 401k? I just want my money. I just want you to pay me. But now you're going to take some of my money. They're like, no, you got to plan 40, 50 years down the road. You got to be thinking, what are you going to do when you retire 50 years down the road? Put some of this money away. We are a society of planners and uh, we do a lot of it in fact one psychologist Daniel Gilbert from Harvard in his book stumbling stumbling on happiness says that planning and thinking about the future is actually the distinctive 
of humans. He says it this way, the human being is the only animal that thinks about the future. Human beings think about the future in a way that no other animal can, does, or ever has. And this simple, ordinary act is the defining feature of our humanity, according to Daniel Gilbert. The average adult spends 12% of the day thinking about the future. Roughly one of every eight hours. And that seems like a lot at first when I thought of it. But then I thought, no, if the future is considered what I'm going to do next and what I'm going to do maybe the next day, that's probably about right. We spend a lot of time thinking about the future. We can imagine events years into the future as well as several minutes and no animal can keep up with us. Planners, we are planners often. We think about the future a lot. And this morning, as we look at the book of James, I think God has something to say about how we plan. I don't want to talk this morning about should we plan. We all do it in some way. Some of us more than others. Some of us more detailed than others. Some of us further into the future than others. But we all do it in some way. The Bible actually has something to say about how we should do our planning. James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. I'm going to start by reading verses 13 to 14. And here's what God's word says. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist. That appears for a little time and then vanishes. When it comes to planning, James gives a couple warnings. And the first thing he says is don't be presumptuous in your planning. Be careful about being too presumptuous in your planning. Be careful about presuming too much about the future. Being so definitive that it is definitely going to come about. And he gives a reason why humans should not be presumptuous about the future. Actually three reasons. The first reason is this. You have a limited knowledge. Limited knowledge. He says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And on one side of us we say, okay, obvious. Move on to the next point. But it's not that obvious. Because I think we live under the illusion of thinking we know what tomorrow will bring. We even get bored with the idea of tomorrow because we're so sure of what tomorrow will hold. Tomorrow is going to be Monday and maybe you think it'll be like last Monday and the Monday before. But it doesn't have to be. Something completely different may happen. We don't know for sure. If the families out in California had known for sure that those fires were coming and were going to come. They may have done things differently, contained it, but you don't know that that's going to happen. Natural disasters, things that come into our lives that we don't expect, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. But we live in a culture that gives us the illusion tomorrow, we know what tomorrow will hold. Someone comes on the news and they tell you, here's what the weather will be tomorrow. And then you know, we are living under an illusion that we know what tomorrow will be. They're often pretty accurate, but not always. You got the cone of possibility, right? When you get that, could go this way, could go that way. We're not completely sure. But it's true. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. You have a limited knowledge. 
James says, be careful to be so presumptuous about your plans in the future because you're not sure what tomorrow will bring. And then he says, be careful because you have limited time. Your life is brief. It says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That word mist is actually very appropriate for a day like today. A great, the best illustration of it is when you walk outside on a 19 degree day and you just kind of breathe out your breath and for a moment you see it. And then it's gone. And James says, when you look at all of eternity and all of history and all of creation, your life, it's like that mist. It's there for a little while, but then it's gone. And you are so sure about tomorrow. James says, you have a limited time. Time runs out faster than you want it to. Dr. Tony Evans, pastor, says when you talk about a person's age, it would be more appropriate if we could do this to measure your age by your date of death, not your date of birth. Because if you know when you're going to die, if you know that you're going to die at 40 years old, then 20 is middle age. But we don't know. We all know people who died earlier than they thought they would and earlier than we thought they should. And yet somehow we still think that we can control tomorrow. We still think we have a control. But James says, don't be foolish. Don't be presumptuous. Be careful in your planning. We have limited knowledge, limited time. I'll throw another one in. We have limited control. We think we have control. We have these little rectangles we carry around that give us the illusion that we're in control. I can make things happen with this. I can talk to people, I can communicate, I can change the temperature in my house. Maybe you can open your garage door, you can peek in on the kids with a camera. Gives us the illusion that we're in full control. But we're not. We're like a mist here for a little while and gone. James says, so be careful in your planning. Don't be presumptuous in your planning. But the second thing he says is make sure you have the right posture in your planning. So a warning, don't be presumptuous. Secondly, have the right posture. Verse 15, he says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Prayer that never fails is, Lord, your will be done. That prayer never fails. Lord, your will be done. If we come to the place where we can sign ourselves to that. Now, I don't think James is saying you've got to use these magic words all the time. You can. It's a good reminder, but I don't think that's what he's saying. I don't think it's a magic phrase. Every time you make a plan, you have to, if the Lord wills. You could. Some people I know do, but that's not what he's saying. It's a posture, it's a reminder. That I'm limited in my knowledge, limited in my time, limited in my control, but God is not. God is in full control, unlimited time, unlimited control, unlimited knowledge. And so when I make my plans, I invite God into the making of the plans. That God, I recognize that I don't know what's coming in the future, but I trust that you do. I recognize that I don't know how to, I can't control everything that's coming my way, but you can. And so I invite you in to my planning and pray 
First, asking God for direction in my planning and then also trust in God's providence when plans don't necessarily go the way that I expect them to. And that's really the rub, isn't it? Everything's fine when my plans match God's plans. But when my plans and God's plans seem to go two different directions is where we may have a problem. And I think that's what James is really talking about here. In the next verse, he talks about what happens when you get presumptuous in your plans. You get arrogant. Verse 16 says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. In other words, I know this is going to happen. I'm positive of it. This is, this is absolutely going to come about. And James says, you're arrogant. You're prideful. And it's evil because it's not true. You're acting like you're God. You're putting yourself in the position of God. Only God knows for sure what tomorrow holds. And when I say I know for sure what tomorrow holds and I'm going to bring it about at any cost, I'm putting myself in the position of God. And so how do I know if I'm being presumptuous in my planning or if I'm having the right posture in my planning? Here's a couple questions you can ask yourself or a couple things to think about to consider to know whether you are presumptuous in your planning or having the right posture when it comes to your planning. Here's the first one. How do you respond when your plans unexpectedly change? Do you handle that well? How do you respond when you had anticipated something, you had your plan on, and it suddenly goes sideways? Some of you are already getting an emotion build up in you. Some of you are already uncomfortable. You're like, ah, I don't like that. You're already distraught even thinking about that something might change in your plans. But I think that tells us something about ourselves. Do you get angry? Does it change your attitude and your actions towards other people around you? How about if you're going to take a flight? You're going someplace. And they'll come over the loudspeaker. Sorry, we regret to inform you. Weather or mechanical issues and the flight is going to be delayed. Just a half hour though. Just a half hour. But then 30 minutes later, they come on and say, sorry, regret to inform you. It's going to be a little bit longer. We're really sorry. About another half hour. And then they may come on again. In that moment, how do you respond? Is it, Lord, this is not my will and my plans. And you go up and you yell at that attendant because they don't know how important your plans are. And they're probably doing this just to annoy you. <laughs> or is it, Lord, your will be done. I think we've all seen places where someone will go and they'll go scream at an attendant or yell at someone. You don't know who I am. You don't know where I have to be. You obviously aren't taking me into consideration. In that moment... It tells us a lot about whether our plans are more presumptuous or we have more of a posture in our plans of if the Lord wills. Lord, you're in control. It may be that in that moment, just for example, that God has you cross paths with someone you would not have otherwise. 
that if I'm so intent on being angry and getting and figuring things out that I might miss the person that God needs me to minister his grace to. It may be that I end up on a different flight, sitting beside a different person, that would I then trust and say, God, did you direct me to this flight and this person for your purposes? That I can trust that even when my plans change, that you are in control. How do you respond when your plans change? It can happen with an airplane. It can happen every day in life. It happened with me. I remember last year around this time when I was waiting for our Christmas cards to come in the mail. Not our Christmas cards from other people. Our Christmas cards that we would send to other people. I had ordered them. Um, and pictures. And I was real excited about them. Ready to send them out. And, and getting ready. And I had ordered them like weeks ago. And set, uploaded all the pictures and everything. But they still hadn't come. And I thought, well, it's Christmas. And they're busy. And printing. And they still hadn't come. And finally I called. And they said, well, you didn't do this. And I'm like, well, yes, I did. And you didn't tell me this. And I start getting upset at this woman on the other end of the phone and telling her it's her fault. This is not something I'm proud of. This is just something that happened. Maybe, I hope it doesn't happen with you. Sometimes it happens with me. I got upset with this woman. Did I mention their Christmas cards? Christian Christmas cards. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. <laughs> Everyone except the person on the other end of the phone. And I hang up the phone. I'm so convicted, right? But it tells me, am I so committed to my plans that it would affect the way my attitude towards other people that maybe I'm too committed to my plans? How about the second question? When pushing through your plans comes at the expense of your character, your call, or your witness, you may be too presumptuous on your plans. When pushing through your plans comes at the expense of your character, your call from God of what he wants you to do, or your witness to the world around you of how you're supposed to act, what a Christian would be, then you're probably too presumptuous about your call. You may have a plan. Maybe you're a student. Maybe you're a high school or a college student and you've got it all mapped out. You know where you're going. You know the college you're going to go to. And after that college, you know the internship that you're going to get. And after that internship, you know the job you're going to land and the place you're going to live. And you've got it all planned out. Except you've got a test this week. And you haven't studied for that test. You're not lazy, but you had a lot going on. You've got other classes. You've got family things. You've got a lot going on. And you know when this test comes up that the best you're going to do is barely pass and you might fail. And if you fail, it's going to affect your semester grade. And if it affects your semester grade, it's going to affect your GPA. And it affects your GPA. You might not get that college, that internship. And your whole life hangs in the balance on this test that you have. And maybe you do what Henry and Troy did at the University of Kentucky last year when they were in, I guess, a similar situation. And they came up with a plan. Came up with a plan. Their plan was this. One of them will crawl through the air duct work of the academic building into and over the professor's office who's giving the test at night, will drop himself down open the door so the other person can come in. They'll find the test, steal a copy of the test so that they can get 
a great grade on the test the next day, which all was going smoothly and according to plan until the professor who was working late that night, Mr. Kane, came back to his office to find the door jammed shut and starts banging on the office door, could not get in, and he starts yelling about calling the police. They rip the door open, fly down the hallway. Of course, there's students in his class. He knows exactly who they are. They get caught and sanctioned academically by the school. I think even criminal charges were filed. And why? They're not dumb kids. They're college students at the University of Kentucky. I imagine they're probably pretty smart kids. But why? Because my plans are getting thwarted. My plans are getting sideways and someone's getting in the way and so I'm going to make my plans happen. When you will sacrifice your character, your call, or your witness to forcibly get through your plans through, you are being too presumptuous about your plans. You are being too adamant about following your plans and not submissive enough to God's plans when it affects your character, your call, your witness. When you delay personal change in your life till another day instead of today, you may be too presumptuous about your plans. So I'll get to that one day. God, I hear what you're asking of me and I will get to that one day. One day I'll get it right. God, I know you're asking me to do this thing or to go to this place or give to this thing or give my gifts and my talents in this way. I'll get to it one day. I've just got some stuff to take care of right now. And when you delay personal change or things God is asking you to do so that you can have your plans the way you want them, you're probably too committed and too presumptuous that your plans are the right plans. We get that. Some will say, you know, one day I'll get right with God. Down in the future. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a heathen. I'm not, you know, you know, look, I believe there's a God. I believe there's a, just right now, I've got some things I need to take care of. And one day, I'll get right with God. That seems to be the attitude of uh, one musician, John Mellencamp who is, if you can believe it, 66 years old. Some of you didn't know John Mellencamp's music. And is writing an article, or is uh, an article on him in AARP. So that tells you where John Mellencamp is. So. In this article in the AARP magazine in uh, 2017, Mellencamp says this. He says, I intend to make my ending good. I'm hoping it's one of those long, lingering deathbed conversions. A lot of people go, oh, I hope to die quick. Not me, says Mellencamp. I need time to put things right. It's an interesting statement. It's 66 years, but I need time to put things right. I think sometimes we can live with that. You know, I'll get to it, God. But right now, I've got my plans that I need to take care of. There's two problems with that. One is I already mentioned you don't know how much time you have. You don't know how much time you have. You don't know that tomorrow is going to be promised to you and you'll be able to get right with God tomorrow. You'll be able to do the thing that God is asking you tomorrow. But the second problem with it, the second problem with it is this. You don't know what you will be like in the future. 
It may be that now is the only time that you are open to God and now is your opportunity and your chance to respond to God. Because down in the future, if you keep saying no, later, no, wait, God, no, wait, later, that when you get down the road in the future, you may not be a place where you're even hearing from God. And you're even open to what God might want to do. Because you are so stuck in your ways. And you have put yourself on the throne and taken God off. And so, you don't know what you'll be like. And so, it's dangerous. I think that's what James is saying. It's a dangerous game to play. To say, today or tomorrow we'll do this. And we're so sure of it. It's presumptuous. It's presumptuous. Finally, when your faith in God to bring about his plan is less than your faith in yourself to bring about your plan, you're presumptuous. When your faith in God to bring about his plan is less than your faith in yourself to force through your own plans, you get presumptuous. The best way I can illustrate that is from a man named Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph was uh, one of 12 brothers. Um, And he was given when he was younger, if you don't know the story, he was given a a dream, a vision. But for today's purposes, let's call it a plan. He was given a plan from God. And God gave him a plan and he said, look, here's the plan. In the future, at some point, your brothers and your mother and father are actually going to honor you, actually going to bow down to you and need you, your, your help. He's given this plan from God. Now, if you've got brothers and sisters, and if you were given a vision like that from God, and you shared it with them, Maybe, you know, your brothers and sisters are different, but you can imagine they may not be too happy about it. In fact, Joseph is like the youngest brother, so, or one of the youngest brothers. So he shares this, and they're like, no, I don't think so. No, I don't think so, Joseph. In fact, they come up with this plan to get rid of him. They were going to kill him, but they decided not to kill him. No, that's not very profitable. One of them convinces them, let's just sell him. And so they sell him. To some travelers and he gets sold and he eventually ends up at a man named Potiphar's house he ends up as managing his affairs and he does a really good job at it really good job at it and maybe this is the way that Joseph grows in influence but then Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph approaches him seduces him propositions him Joseph says no she gets mad and makes false accusations against him gets thrown in prison for those false accusations and forgotten. Still has this plan from God. Still has this plan that God gave him. But it's gone a little sideways maybe in Joseph's mind. Eventually he comes out of prison through a series of events where he actually interprets a dream and is elevated in power and in Egypt. And it does come a day where there's a famine in the land and Joseph ends up being the one in charge of all the food storages that are there in Egypt and his brothers and eventually his father comes and they need Joseph's help. And they do. 
bow down before Joseph just as the plan of God and vision had shown. But I bet if you had asked Joseph if that's how he thought it would come about, it wasn't really his plan. Might not have been the road that he would have chosen. But here's what he says. When his brothers and his father come and they don't know what's going to happen, here's the guy they sold into slavery. They think he's gonna, they're going to kill him. Uh, he's going to kill them. But Joseph said to them, do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As, you, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph said, your will be done, God. Isn't the path I would have chosen, isn't the way I would have brought it about, I would have, I would have seen this plan coming about differently than prison, false accusal, sold into slavery, all this stuff. But now I can see that God has been at work the whole time. And so in your life and in mine, that God, will you trust that when your plans don't go exactly the way you planned, that God is at work in your life? Will you submit the plans that you've made to God? Have you taken God into your planning? Finally, last verse of this passage, an important one. Verse 17 says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him it is sin. And I think in the specific context of this passage, what James is saying is, look, if you know that you need to invite God into your planning and you continue just to make your plans without taking him into account, you're sinning. And here's, I think, why he puts this little proverb in this passage. Because if I get so focused on tomorrow... I need to do this tomorrow. We have a kid, they're gonna go to college and I'm gonna retire and I'm gonna buy this thing and I'm gonna do this thing and I'm so focused on tomorrow. A danger might be that I miss what God has in front of me to do today. That I, there would be a good that God would put me in a position to do that I missed because I was only focused on tomorrow. And so James says, if you know to do good and you don't do it, you're sinning. I would say it this way. Do the right thing right now. Do the right thing right now. When you have opportunity in front of you, do the right thing right now. Don't put it off to, well, I'll get to it. I'll be able to help those people later. I'll be able to do what God wants later. When I have a little more money, when I have a little more ability, when I have a little more time, I'll be able to do what God wants. And yet God is calling you and giving you the opportunity today to do the right thing right now. So pray before you make your plans. Invite God in. Make your plans and do the right thing right now. See, there's an aspect of this that the more you do this, the more you'll be trained and conditioned to be able to do this so that if tomorrow your plans go a little sideways and you can say, God, your will be done. This isn't the way I thought it was gonna go, but I'm gonna look for how you're directing it. Then when something bigger happens, 
tragic accident, loss of a child, sudden death of a parent, loss of a job. How do Christians walk through those times? The same way you walk through times when anything that you planned went differently. God willing, your will be done. If the Lord wills, my plans, my life, my relationships, my career, I have a plan, I have an idea, but all subject to God. In fact, we have an expression we use often, don't we? When we know that things are not set in stone, we say, subject to change. Subject to change. All your plans and my plans should be subject to God. Subject to change. Here's my plan. Here's our plan. Here's what I think we're going to do. But ultimately, God is in control. God is in control. Subject to God's change. Subject to his control. Augustine said it this way. He said, love God and do as you please. Now, I think some people only hear the second part of that statement. Do as you please. You can't have the second part without the first part. The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when you do that, what pleases you and what you want comes into line with who God is and what he wants. But everything's subject to God. Everything's subject to to God and ask our music ministry to come back as we prepare to respond to God's word and close two things I have to close with is this that idea of if you know the right thing to do the good you ought to do and you don't do it is sin is very convicting and here's the truth of the matter we're never always going to get it right you are never always going to do the good that is right in front of you. You are never always going to hit every opportunity that God brings your way. There'll be times when you will miss a good opportunity that God has put in front of you to do the right thing, to love the person in front of you. And the reason is, the reason you and I will never always get it right is because we're sinners and we need a savior that's the gospel that's the gospel the gospel is that yes you are called to make your plans and subject them to God and you are called to do the right thing right now but you're not going to get it right every time and so we needed a savior and so God sent Jesus as a savior and he said here's the deal if you will put your faith in his righteousness, who is perfect, if you will trust in his sacrifice, then his righteousness becomes your righteousness. Then the fact that he did the right thing all the time gets viewed. That's the lens that God views you through. It's not fair, it's grace grace and that's what God offers to you so the Bible says yeah if you know the good you should do and you don't do it you're sinning 
And I think every one of us in this room today would say, well, I'm in that category. I fall, that's where I fall. I, there's been good things I've known I should do and I didn't always do them. God says, well, that's why you need Jesus. That's why you need a Savior. And so he sent Jesus for that purpose. And if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and your trust in him, then all I'm saying is, and all James is saying is, don't wait till tomorrow. I don't know, and you don't know what tomorrow brings. Today is the day that God has invited you to put his faith and trust in him. But I'll say this finally too, to those of us and those of you in this room that do follow Jesus, if God has called you to do something, and you know he has called you to do something, don't wait till tomorrow. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Because you don't know that you're going to have tomorrow and you don't know that you'd even be open to it anymore tomorrow than you would today. Don't put it off. Do the right thing right now. Do what God has called you to do right now. One of my wife's <coughs> uncle's name is Wes. His uh, wife just passed away actually a few months ago, but he's one of my heroes of the faith, Wesley Kelly, because he, uh, as Wendy tells me, he, when he was younger, he owned a construction company. And it was a successful construction company out in New Mexico, and he built houses. And because of that, he owned a ranch and acres of land and horses and four-wheelers and all the stuff that you'd love. And they'd spend holidays over there, and it was this great, like, you know, place where everyone would gather and everyone would go to Uncle Wes's place and families would come over and, and uh, his worker, he employed many workers and he had this great business. And then, later in life, God said, I want you to sell it all. I want you to get rid of it all. I want you to sell the ranch. I want you to sell the business. I want you to get rid of everything you own and I want you to move and I want you to go and build churches in Mexico. And I want you to go and use the construction skills that I've given you and the knowledge I've given you and all of that stuff. And I want you to leave all this behind and go and build churches in Mexico. And he did. Sold the ranch, sold everything, moved to El Paso, used that as his base of operations and he'd drive across the border and for the rest of his life, he went and led teams and built churches in Mexico. That wasn't part of his plan when he started, but that was God's plan. And if you, Christian man, Christian woman, are sitting in here and God has put something on your heart and he's called you to do something, don't presume that you will have tomorrow or that you will be any more willing to do it tomorrow. He's called you to do good and do it. Do what God has called you to do today. Father, God, I come before you today and I pray for these men and women who are here today, these young people who are here today. God, I thank you. I thank you first of all that you did not leave us in a place 
God, where we are stuck in our sin, where we, where we fall short all the time and have no way back and no way for forgiveness. And no, Lord, I thank you that you did not leave us in that place. I thank you that at Christmas time, we remember that you sent Jesus so that we would not be stuck in that place, separated from you, a holy God, because of our sin, Lord. And God, if there's anyone in here today, God, that has yet to accept you, I pray that today would be the day. And if you are in here today and you want to do that, I pray that today would be the day you would just tell God in your own heart, in your own space, God, I need you. I am. I do fall short. I don't get it right. And I am a sinner and I need a Savior. And I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus today. And if you've never done that, I pray that today would be the day you would do that. I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I know God's asking you today. I know God is offering you today that if you will put your faith and trust in him that you will be forgiven of all those things you failed to do that you should have you receive his grace and his love and his power to live the life he's called you to live I encourage you to do that in your own space and ask God to come into your life and lead you I also pray, Lord, for those who are in this room who you have put a dream in their heart. You have put plans in their heart. You have called them to start doing something or to stop doing something. And they have not had the courage to do it. Lord, I pray that today would be the day, Lord, that we would do the good that we know we ought to do. Lord, that we would be a church that would listen to your voice and then follow where you lead that all of our plans would be subject to you and your plans and that we might be the people that pray your will be done.